Coming up on this week's show, we talk about the disadvantages for the Lakers having to wait to find out their opponent, which coaches are on the hot seat, and who has something to prove in these playoffs. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. This is Nerder She Wrote. I'm your host, Dave Dufour, joined as I am every single week by Seth and Mo. What's up, guys? Are you excited? Very. Today is a big day of games. <laughs> I'm excited that I got the second instead of the third place in that billing today. So I, I'm glad I moved up a slot. Sorry, Mo. <laughs> no, no. It's one of those things. You know what it is? Actually, I was doing the good teammate thing. And I mm. said, I felt like Seth was having issues mm. with it. Dave, go ahead and let Seth be first because I don't want to have any. It doesn't matter to me, you know, uh, really in, in that matter. Mo knows his place in the hierarchy uh guys whoa listen. whoa player, listen. calm down now I just don't give a damn we're all on equal footing all right so uh listen we're we we're we got a lot to talk about and and just like the Lakers we're at a little bit of a disadvantage when it comes to the play-in games because uh we're recording this on Thursday and the games are going to be happening after we record so uh we don't even know who their opponent is going to be in the first round. You guys, I mean, you both worked in with NBA teams. Seth, you know, data collection, trying to get everything ready for, for the scouting reports. Mo had the worst job in professional sports this time of year. So, Mo, I know you've been in this situation in real life. How are video coordinators for the Lakers scrambling right now? I mean, this just kind of sucks. In that scenario of, look, all the playoff matchups are set except for one. And that's the top-seeded Lakers have no idea who they're going to play next. And I think, or excuse me, in the playoffs. So, you know, you have to prepare for everybody. And it's not like, okay, they're just preparing for two guys. Right now, they're preparing for four different teams. You know, the the Clippers already kind of have an understanding. It, it seemed pretty obvious eventually they were going to end up having to play Dallas in the first round most likely Denver kind of figured it out everybody got their situation planned out so in my past you know we've had to have preparation for three guys for three teams leading into the final game of the season and that just becomes a, a hodgepodge okay do we have player personnel tapes for Memphis do we have it for Golden State do we have it for I forgot who the third team was. Maybe it was that I don't even remember who the third team was, but we had to kind of have everything lined up. It was all hands on deck, everything set up. It becomes sort of chaotic too. Cause then you start molding like, was that in the Grizzlies game or is that the golden state tape? You get confused with that stuff. It, it just gets a little more difficult putting all of that stuff together. Seth, what, what about you? I mean, there there are a lot of ways that I think your your job might have been a little bit easier because uh, you create the programs and, and that helps pull some of your data. But certainly looking through that data and trying to figure out what's, what's relevant to the series is a tough ask with a short amount of time. Sure. I think Sort of some summary stuff, some top level stuff on on the relevant teams and and the the, the players on those teams. You you do one, you do four. It's basically the same. So in in terms of your workflow, like that's probably what you're doing today. Might you, you probably started on six teams uh, two weeks ago and then realized a week ago, wait, we need to do the Suns also. Uh, so that part is you, you you do that first, and then kind of when you narrow it down to maybe two teams is when you maybe start to dive in a little bit more. On, on some in, some of the individual stuff that, that might be a little more ad hoc. I want to emphasize a, a point that Mo talked about, though, sort of the checklist aspect of that. 
and and a part that is uh, going to be more difficult than than it normally would be. You know, this is might be a time where okay, we're we're setting we're we're making four books. So you take over a conference room, a big table, and you kind of do an assembly line with like everyone, and you you have someone who's you know checking things off. Now that we're kind of distanced and and people are in different places, and I don't know how many of the which or how many of the film guys are 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 actually in Orlando. That coordination is just much more difficult now because we're not. It's much much harder to double and triple check everything that that we all have everything going and that everyone knows what they should be working on and how to fill in those gaps. And so there's just I think the stress level of did we do everything has got to be just higher than normal in addition to the number of teams. The books freaking suck. If you want the <laughs> honest truth, they're yes. they're from what I've heard the Clippers have gone digital, so they've at least have made it easier in that sense. But just a quick aside, when we're playing Memphis in game 7, we're flying to Memphis. If we won that game, we were flying immediately to San Antonio. I had to carry all the books for the San Antonio matchup, you know, which we won and used, but it was just a pain in the ass. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm not that big, though. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that strong. It was just a pain in the ass on top of all the other video equipment and things like that that I got to deal with. It was a whole other thing. The books just freaking suck, and you don't know how much the guys actually use it. Some are going to use it, some aren't, and it's it's frustrating in that sense. If we have um, any animators listening, uh, please animate a cartoon Mo carrying a reel-to-reel movie projector onto an airplane. I, w- I would love to see that. That's how I imagine because, you know, Mo getting kind of old now. Uh, how uh, how do getting you... better, Dave. I'm not getting old. <laughs> how are you working at this point with the coaching staff to make sure those guys are ready to, to put together a game plan? I mean, you know, how, how much are you talking to them? You know, we're talking four or five days out from a playoff series, you know, I imagine you guys are communicating quite a bit. Constantly, constantly. It's a just a whole flowing conversation. Did you watch this game? What clips do you want to pull from this game? What's the organization you want? So like the to touch on the checklist real quickly in terms of the video room, you know, you're doing player personnel. You know, you're you're covering each guy. Okay, so with Chris Paul, do we have him in the pick and roll? Do we have him on the right side, left side? Which clips do we want to use? Which ones do we like? We're trying to use all the clips where we did a good job. You know, we're trying to show what he can do. There's a whole bunch of things. Then you're looking at the team offensive sets. What do they run? Look at, you know, what are they doing in transition? Do they do anything special? Are they what are the sets they run? What are they doing end of games? Then you're looking at their defensive playbook. And then you're looking at what are the things that we did well against them and showing that stuff. It's just a, a, a running checklist. And that's offense and defense. What did we do well with them? What didn't we do well? And we want to stay far away from. We wouldn't show that to the players, but the coaches need to be aware of that. So it's just a ever-flowing of things, and you're just having constant conversations. And the way staffs are normally set up. Every staff is different, but the ones I've been on is each coach was assigned a scout. So they were on top of, you know, that's the coach I'm communicating with. So in this scenario for the Lakers, four different teams, the video coordinators keeping track of four different coaches. Like that's just not easy. Although I think that that like at least having, if they're unlucky, there's like for some reason, one coach has three of these teams as their scout. And that would make things super tricky. I think if it was four different assistants, each of these teams happened to be assigned to a different coach's scout. That probably makes the, those sort of workflows a little bit easier because you can, you, it's easier to keep straight. Okay. I got Jeff this and Steve that and, and Tommy that. And okay. So, and oh, Billy, uh, I still need to get that to you. So they, they know what they need. 
so mm-hmm. that they you can you can always at least check in with them to to kind of keep that workflow going. Whereas if if one of those one of those guys is is three different teams, um, plus still playing games sure. and doing workouts and stuff like that, then there's just the the possibility of confusion. Especially since you're not in your your facility where you can like whiteboard stuff out and and you know do yeah. all that fun organizational stuff. That was actually going to be my next point was that the bubble is sort of creating another unique scenario where some teams didn't even bring their video guy. I mean, some teams didn't bring all their coaching staff. So, you know, you've got people trying to coordinate remotely. And and Mo, I I know that you did a fair amount of remote coordination when you were working, you know, a a few years ago. I feel like that distance must make it harder. Makes it harder. And it brings up the question again of like the Internet speeds. It sounds so incredibly stupid, but you got to think the files they're downloading, even if there's a video guy on campus, there's three interns or assistants working at the team facility that's sending you film and trying to download files that are, you know, 10 gigs, 12 gigs, you know, can take almost a couple of days, depending on how everything goes. You're almost at better off at that point, sort of overnighting a, a hard drive, you know, and that might be something that's being done. So it's just a whole uh, a mess of things. And, and it's never easy in that scenario. So it's just a pain. Speaking of coaching staffs, um, it is the end of the regular season, and this is kind of, can be a scary time for coaches. A lot of uncertainty. We've seen some teams come to the bubble and severely underperform. Some of some teams have outperformed what they did during the pre-hiatus regular season. I mean, the Phoenix Suns look like a completely different team. But then there are the teams that don't. The Sixers look like they've got the same problems. The Pelicans still not playing defense. I don't know what happened with the Kings. Some of these coaches are uh, are on the hot seat, guys. I'm not sure if if Alvin Gentry is going to make it back next season. So the thing you really just worry about with the Pelicans is they had everything laid out in front of them, and they just kind of laid an egg. And if it had just been, okay, they had some weirdness with Zion leaving the bubble for, for a personal situation and his his conditioning and, and ability to play minutes was, was what it was, and that cost them, you know, you maybe you get a mulligan for that, but they were just kind of disorganized, and that wasn't really limited to just the bubble. Um, I think they're, again, they, they got dealt a little bit of a tough hand at the start of the year with him, you know, having to get surgery right on the eve of the season. But it took him how many months to recover from that? Okay, yeah, the players have got to be better and adjust and what have you. But that's the job from a, from a head coaching standpoint. And so you do you do have to ask those questions. Yeah, I mean, it was a difficult job for for Alvin I think you know he, he was on the hot seat before the season began just with the change in in management with David Griffin even though they had a long-standing relationship from their Phoenix days everybody kind of knew like this is a issue right like this was kind of coming along it's the their play in the bubble was was brutal and as Seth was saying it's you can talk about the minutes that Zion had to play and whatnot I think that's really difficult on players in terms of just guys in and out of the lineups and things like that I think it's hard to keep guys rolling that way and find a flow and a, a, a rhythm. And I think it put a lot of guys off in that sense. So it's it's not going to be surprising if they let Alvin go. It's, you know, I think it's just one of those things too, where you, you need a coach that can come in there and really, I don't know, slap a dude if he had to. Uh, and I don't think you're going to get that from Alvin. I don't recommend any coaches actually physically slap a dude. I hope you guys understand what I mean by that. But I just think that's the problems that they, they ran into in New Orleans is that he just wasn't, wasn't the guy, wasn't tough enough for that team. And, and that job is going to be, I mean, that's a marquee job. People are going to be lining up 
to get that job. They're going to be able to choose from any coach that they want, pretty much. I think that the two best jobs that I expect to be available will be New Orleans and Brooklyn. Uh, I don't think Jacques Vaughn is going to be the guy there, um, you know, regardless of how he performed in the bubble. You know, he, he's actually outperformed my expectations in the bubble, to be Done honest. Well, he did well. Yeah. Well, though the, the funny thing is, is you know who would have been the perfect coach for the Brooklyn team that was playing in the bubble? Was Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like some, yeah. So somehow, like, if Jacques Vaughn earned the head job by coaching a Kenny Atkinson-style team, like that would just be bizarre. And, and you know, I, I said this in my in well, bubble preview column is like, what from the bubble is, is there a real takeaway from what the Nets are going to be next year? Nothing. You know, like Joe Harris made himself some money. That's yep. that's the big takeaway from the, the, the Nets in the bubble, I think. Well, I just I, expect a different team, You're not even just right. a coach. I just expect a lot of roster changes, too. I think Karis LeVert has made himself uh, an even more appealing trade candidate. You know, I, I, I'm with you on that, you know, but I think Vaughn has shown he can coach. You know, he, he took a bunch of G leaguers <laughs> and, uh, you know, made made something out of them. I mean, those guys were out there playing hard with very little to play for, probably expecting to get steamrolled. And I think he did a, a, an adequate job. He's not going to save the, the position for himself. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but I, I do think he, he showed, hey, you know what? I can coach a little bit. Uh, the Sixers are. A very interesting one because they lost Ben Simmons likely for for the rest of this season. Embiid with the ankle injury kind of been hurt. It's been a continuation of the problems that they already had. And now they're going to try to go through the playoffs down, you know, their second best player. Is it fair at this point to judge Brett Brown on his performance given the injury issues that they've had? Here's my thing with, with the way the Sixers are set up. I mean, they gave him one of the weirdest rosters to work with. And, I mean, have they ever given him a roster that's just fully made sense? I mean, they had that run where they had, you know, J.J. You know, the first year they made the playoffs and they lost to Boston uh, in that sense. But, like, it just never feels like they, they've given him a, a, a fighting chance with the roster. I mean, this year's roster was just so weird. It's so heavy with forwards. They have no guards. And now that Simmons is out, now you're really screwed because they don't have a ton of great ball handlers. We can all talk about Shake Milton, but at the end of the day, I think we got carried away a little bit with the excitement of Simmons moving to the power forward spot. But the one thing I'd say is Brett's been there for seven years, you know, it, and, and, it might just be time that they need to hear a new voice. It might be saying the new voice might come in and say something, say the exact same things as Brett, but it might just come differently from a different sounding voice. So it might be time to, for the Sixers to really look at it and, and, make that move yeah i don't i don't disagree with anything mo said there that's I, a first i i think that it oh most of these discussions are illustrative that it's it's not even about the coach necessarily it's always about the about the uh the, the context i mean it, it, it's not you're not the right coach you're the right coach for right now for most of these situations uh before we move off the sixers though i do want to point out you we've talked about uh um, them being short guards. And I, I do think that that we have to at least note kind of how much of a disappointment Josh Richardson has been for them this year. And I think him coming closer to expectations probably, and, you know, he's, he's, he's been hurt a little, but, and he, he, but he had, you know, one nice game in the bubble. Mm -hmm. uh, well, nice game, except for getting 
lit up by Dame. Um, <laughs> but I mean, everybody's getting lit yeah, up by Dame for yeah, exactly. the most part. So I don't exactly. know if that's <laughs> yeah. It's like you know, take a number for that. Yeah. But, um, but I think you know, the the question is 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 that how much of that is a mulligan for the coach and how much of that is on the coach for a guy who was brought in to be kind of that combo guard shot making stability hasn't been able to. Yeah. I think some of that just kind of comes from the situation where you look at it. That's a little bit on Brett, you know, him being slow to move in Horford on the bench. And that's not an easy decision at all to make. Uh, but you know, it, he got there eventually. You kind of hope they got there earlier moving Simmons to the power forward spot and trying to get those other guys involved. I mean, across the board, it's like Harris, Richardson, those guys are just kind of, it feels like bit players in this whole thing, but eat so much of your cap space. Like that becomes an issue for the the team. I mean, for me, the whole, the whole problem is top to bottom. I mean, they just, their, their roster construction was terrible. And then they look at, Brett going like, okay, make this happen. Like when people say like, look at their offense, I'm like, I don't know what offense you could run with this team. I'm sure we'll get to this, uh, you know, uh, later in the playoffs during the off season. But I, I think there's some, some basketball executives that are also on the hot seat. And uh, I would be keeping my eye on the Sixers for that one too. Uh, what about the Kings guys? Uh, they took a clear step back, which almost is to be expected with a young team switching coaches after finally gaining some momentum. But it took Luke Walton a good six months to just figure out who was on his roster. It felt like, yeah, I just, it's just a tough scenario. You know, his first year back, I mean, his first year with this team after coming off the Laker job. And I think it takes a while thinking just right away, we're going to have immediate success is, is always difficult with a new coach. You know, it's, it's, we're spoiled by it. We've seen some coaches do it, so we expect every coach to be able to do it. And, you know, look at Monty Williams kind of changing the culture in Phoenix and really building something out there. You you hope you'd see the same from Walton. You know, my things with Luke, my criticisms was just like, why were they playing so slow? You know, this is mm-hmm. a team that should be playing fast. They should be going uh you know, 90 miles per hour on every possession and things like that. So that's, that's kind of my biggest thing, but it's, it's hard to judge off one year, like just him learning the guys and the guys learning him and getting that understanding. And I think that's where for me, the, the challenge would be to kind of just put him on the hot seat too quickly for me. It's, it's, Sure. It's, a, it's the opposite of Brett Brown in the sense of Brett's been there seven years. Right. Like, and Luke just got there. Yeah. Luke just got there and is still figuring out these guys. How much of a pass, Seth, do you give him for De'Aaron Fox's injury issues this year? Because they were a different team with Fox out there. I mean, Mo just mentioned how slow they played, but they were the opposite when Fox was healthy. Yeah, I think that's a that that's that. I don't want to say their their slowed pace of play is wholly attributable, attributable to some of Fox's injury issues, but I think that's a big part of it. I think they're probably going to play slower. Um, some of that was you maybe if you play a little bit better defense, there are fewer possessions because you're giving up fewer early easy shots. So, um, but yeah, I do think that they were they were always going to play a little bit slower. Bigger picture, I mean, the Kings stay the Kings. So <laughs> I don't know if there's a bigger lesson to take from that. Shout out to Danny LaRue. <laughs> yeah. Kangs. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, it's just a cry. I mean, the other thing, too, is like how different is this team if they have Marvin Bagley, who, but, who didn't play at all in the bubble? Like how much of a wrench did that throw into their 
their their their how, chances. How different of this is this team if they have Luka Doncic? Okay, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, we can we could do this okay. all day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I've been very vocal about not trusting the young guys in Miami in the playoffs, but the other thing that I'm extremely vocal about is that Miami does an incredible job of developing young talent. Mo, how have they turned Duncan Robinson into the greatest shooter in the NBA? Because I think right. that he's in the conversation, right? I mean, he's the greatest shooter to walk this earth, Dave. Let's just be honest. Actually, the thing I really kind of want to highlight, it's not so much Duncan Robinson, but the Heat have done a phenomenal job of saying, you're a shooter, great. We're going to make you the best possible shooter you can be. And this is something that not a lot of teams do. What, what tends to happen is like, oh, man, he's such a great shooter. Let's see if he can become a ball handler for us, too, because then he he's multidimensional and can do all these things and that stuff. And what tends to happen is things start to kind of slip a little bit. Like, just look at Landry Shamit with the Clippers, you know, and, and the, listen, the Clippers heart is in the right place. This is what they want. They have good intentions. You know, they want to try to turn him into a being able to bring the ball up the court, be a ball handler and help it, you know, spread the floor on top of his shooting skills. But the problem is that's just not who he is. That hasn't been his game. And they're trying to kind of force a square peg through a round hole. Whereas the Miami Heat are going like, no, 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 we're going to make you the perfect circle to fill, fall right through that hole perfectly. And they've just focused on his development as a shooter. He's getting the shot off quicker. He's moving much better. He works off the ball a lot better. All of the stuff that he does, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive because this is something that most teams would do what the Clippers are doing with a shooter. Whereas they're saying, hey, we're going to try to add to your skill sets. Whereas the Heat are just saying like, yo, that's your skill set. Let's perfect it. You know, and, and that's not to mean down the road they might not try to add some stuff to him, but they're not going to do it until he perfects his main skill set. It kind of points to the organizational structure a little bit in player development, the role of player development within the organization. Miami obviously prioritizes it, and they're trying to get the maximum amount off these guys. You know, these second-round guys like Kendrick Nunn, I mean, guys going undrafted. A little bit, it's a leftover from from the LeBron, Wade, and Bosch teams where they were struggling, you know, to fill out the roster. you gotta, you got to hit on Mario Chalmers, and, and you got to find these, these sorts of guys. And, and it's all carried over, and now they've got these incredible young guys who – Again, a lot of people believe in them more than I do. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm very happy if I am wrong. I would be. But Seth, you know, how does an organization come up with their player development approach, much less lean into it as hard as Miami has? I think that's there's a little bit of secret sauce there. But it's also that's we, we've talked all the time about kind of alignment between coaching and front office and having, you know, the front office have a vision for what a guy might be and be able to have the coaching staff work with them. This is this is one of those things where basketball is very different from baseball in that like player development is much more of an organization, like a, almost a, a front office function in baseball. Whereas historically it's been a, it's been a coaching function in basketball. So oftentimes when you get that dichotomy between front office picking players and coaches, okay, now screw it off. We're going to, we're going to coach the team. Um, obviously that there's, there's, there's a big, it's not even a crack. It's a chasm that, that these kind of developmental uh, players can fall into. So yeah, Miami's obviously recently done a, a very good job with this. Um, 
I think you make a good point about believing in them too much. I think we've seen over the years uh, how many guys have left the Spurs after kind of coming through that and turned out to be good elsewhere. Not that many. How many guys recently have kind of left the Celtics and kind of fallen off? And now you do worry about that. I mean, you, you okay, Justice Winslow, kind of a mulligan because of injury, but we talked earlier about Josh Richardson. Um Seems like an example, and and the Heat themselves. I mean, I think that uh, that um, uh, you know when we've had uh, John Hollinger on the pod before, he's kind of kind of talked about them kind of believing in their own development a little bit too much. Also, when they you know splurged on on a lot of, of contracts for these guys a couple of years ago. So I think it, it it's it's a very valuable thing to have, um, and I and I agree with Mo that it's about identifying player skill set and future role and being very focused on that instead of trying to turn every player into the perfect all-around player. Yeah. If they, if they were the perfect all-around player, they wouldn't have been available to you in the second round. Like, exactly. let's just be honest. You know, like when we talk about Landry Shamit, everybody was going like, well, why did he slip? It was because people didn't trust him as a ball handler in the draft. Like that was that simple. And now they're trying to turn him into it. And I'm just saying, every time I watch the Clippers and they start him, you know, in the games where Beverly hasn't played or anything like that, I'm just like, man, that's, that's a turnover waiting to happen. I've seen him with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the court struggle to bring the ball up the court and if i'm a team i'm like yo as soon as that dude crosses half court with the ball we're trapping the hell out of him and, and it's a shame turnover it's a shame because it, with the sixers he did look like he was on his way to being one of those shooter guys that could come off screens a very useful player and, and this is a case of trying to turn someone into something that they're not it doesn't mean that you don't work on this stuff but you're not working on it in, like i'm sorry the clippers are competing for a title you want Landry Shamit doing the stuff that he's best at or out of the rotation. You don't want him out there trying to, you know, pound the leather off the ball. That's not what his game is. You, I mean, you want to set him up to succeed. Set. Yeah, you want to set him up to succeed. And, you know, I, I think Doc is not necessarily great with young players historically. Spolstra has a different track record. Part of that is because the Heat for so long have had the cap issues that they've had, and they've had to find these guys and and. and Make them productive. The fastest way to getting them productive is to accentuate their strengths, to lean into those. And they, they've done that with Duncan Robinson. Okay, guys, so all of this Duncan Robinson player development conversation about him as a shooter and being a fantastic shooter leads me to this big question. Is this a thing? Do you guys believe in Duncan Robinson as a playoff performer? Because we saw we saw him do it during the regular season. He didn't miss a beat coming back into the bubble. I am more of a believer now than I was in March. But is this a thing? I've talked about this a little this week. Um, I think that no player has bigger possible swing in kind of my estimation of them between good role player, nice find to really almost a high end asset, like an elite role player than Duncan Robinson based on what he can show he can do in the postseason. If he can continue to be, uh, you know, and uh, get, you know, eight to 10 three-pointers off a game that are makeable for him and stay on the floor enough on the other end to do so in the playoffs, that's an insanely valuable player. That Honestly, that might be a top 50 player in the NBA. Um, he's he's uh, obviously it's early in his career, small sample size. Um, depending on how you look at it, he has an argument to being the best shooter in the world right now. And Sam Vecini has been banging this drum for a while and I've been on a slowdown, Sam. But kind of digging into this a little bit more, in terms of a guy who combines high volume, accuracy, and degree of difficulty. He's he so far in his career, he has been that dude. I'm careful about 
the playoff expectations for him in the sense of his first playoff appearance. We know that it gets a lot more physical, especially we see it a lot with off ball guys like JJ Reddick, the guy that's, you know, he's similar to in that sense, you know, it, it gets more physical. It's harder to come off screens. They allow more grabbing and holding, you know, we'll see how that holds up in the bubble and first real feel of the playoffs and I don't know how much we can call this feel of the playoffs because it's not you're not on the road or anything like that but just feeling the intensity level pick up a a notch it's going to be great experience for him I won't be shocked Seth if he struggles like it wouldn't surprise me at all it's something I'd want to see over the next couple uh playoff appearances but he's on that route right like he's he's as you said a very high level important player for this team because if he can get eight threes off and, and knock him down and shoot him at the, you know, the 45% that he shoots it at, it opens the door for everything else. Cause then he's coming off pin downs and you're jumping at him and he's finding bam at on the roll, you know, or things like that. So it's, it, it's such an important part to their game. It's going to come down to, you know, how, how does he handle the playoff experience? And, and I'm going to be careful in this one, this first one to really kind of judge him too much on it. Yeah. And <laughs> the thing is that Miami's ball movement makes him even more dangerous for exactly the reason that you just laid out. If you sell out trying to guard Duncan Robinson, he is going to find cutters. He's going to find Bam, who is, you know, his playmaking has been excellent in these games in the bubble. It makes them a more dangerous team if the other team is scared of Duncan Robinson. Do you think Duncan is going to have that kind of fear? Like, is he going to inspire that sort of fear in the Pacers in round one? Like, do we expect that? I don't think we're worried necessarily about the Pacers. I think that's a a challenge that they should handle. All those Hoosier State people are coming after you. Go that's for fine. them, Seth. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, I think no. I, I mean, I think you have to. You, I substantially favor Miami in that yeah. in that yeah. matchup. I think more what I'm talking about is if he gets in like second round series. Like, mm-hmm. um, there, there's there's kind of a groundswell of of should Milwaukee be worried about the Heat kind of thing going on and if they should be Duncan Robinson's a big reason why those um, and, and and I'm absolutely I'm, I, I want to be clear I'm absolutely with Mo on I need to see it right and that's why there's like what I expect because yeah this is a player type who kind of gets I don't want to say smushed in the playoffs but gets downrated a little bit mm-hmm. unless you're like you know you, you you know he's not the defender but unless you're like the Danny Green level role player and Danny Green has been an insanely valuable player in his role for a number of years in the league do it slightly differently, like. Uh, but being Duncan Robinson has has outs to be that kind of of really key piece without being what we think of as a star. I think we can we can stop the Duncan Robinson conversation right at Danny Green. I love everybody knows I love Danny Green, guys. We all want to see Duncan Robinson show us that he can perform in the playoffs. I mean, he's a young player. If he doesn't perform in his first playoffs, okay, you, you'll get a pass. But there are people that we need to see prove some stuff in the playoffs that just haven't done it yet. I want to start with the big name. Anthony Davis is the best player on the Lakers right now. He is the best player on the Lakers as of right now. LeBron with the groin injury looks a little off. If the Lakers are going to win a title, it's going to be because Anthony Davis showed up and showed out. Do you guys agree with me here? He has something to prove in these playoffs. It's pretty perfect Radio Dave right there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's I, I, I have to agree with that. It's a, a guy who uh, it, it finally you get him on a team where he's got quote help that he needs, um, and it's his this is his first chance to really prove it. We'll see. 
I, I do think that their kind of lack of perimeter play is going to put him in some bad spots. There's going to be situations if LeBron is limited or when LeBron is le- resting where it's okay, AD go cook with these other guys on the floor. And that's going to put him in some, some kind of compromising situations where he might not look great. Um, so he, it, it, but then again, if you, if you know, you want to, you, you want to, uh, wear the crown, you, you have to defeat those, those tough situations and, and he's going to be faced with them. And it's, he's very good. First of all, like this is not a, a knock on Anthony Davis because he hasn't done it in the playoffs. This is by far the best team he's ever had around him, you know, playing with LeBron. I mean, <laughs> he's never had a player anywhere close to that. There aren't many players that have ever been anywhere close to that. So, you know, the pressure should be a little bit less because he has LeBron. No, but this is the first time he's been on a playoff team that we expect something from. You know, the the other times with New Orleans, like, you know, they had that sweep of Portland, but it wasn't something that we felt like this was, you know, a lock. I mean, we were all shocked by the sweep. I think I can speak for everybody on the pod. Uh, I think that's the the thing here with he's got to prove now that like, yo, I am a very valuable piece on a contender. I'm one of the reasons why they're going to win a championship. And that's why he has a lot to prove. And the other years, it's the expectations of like, okay, he's in the playoffs. Like, that's great. The one year they played Golden State, nobody expected them to win and they got swept. You know, it's it's along those lines. So this is the time where he actually has the the backing behind him where he's supposed to go to the championship. He's supposed to help win it this year for this team. It's supposed to be him and LeBron. And if he doesn't deliver, that's going to be a problem. Is there anybody else that comes to mind for you guys? I've been thinking about Utah a lot. This is a team that's been overrated, I'd say, given their performance, especially in the playoffs. Do we have any concerns about Donovan Mitchell yet? I think he I think he needs to prove that he can be the number one guy for that team. So this is a topic that uh, that, that we have liked to discuss uh, both in person and off the air a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of of stuff is said about Rudy Gobert in the in the playoffs and getting played off the floor. Their defense has never been the problem in their playoff losses. Their offense has been unconscionably bad. Um, now this year, the level of expectations for them as a team are probably not super high without Bogdanovich. There's, there's kind of a hard ceiling on where they can go, but Donovan Mitchell has been very inefficient in the series. They've lost like we're we're talking two shooting percentages in the forties in their losses to the Rockets. And some of that is maybe on their overall roster construction in terms of asking way too much creation from a, from a young guy. But like we just said with, with, Anthony Davis, if you style yourself as a certain level of player, as the best player on this team, which I don't think either you or I, Dave, believe that that he is. Um, I don't know if, if who Mo would take uh, between between him and, uh, and and Rudy, but if if that's the way you style yourself and the team views you, you kind of have to show up a little bit better than that in in playoff series. Yeah, and they can lose, and he could still show yeah. us something. Yes. It, like this is not a, an indictment on on his career if they lose. But I, I do think I need to see more than, than what he's, than what he's shown so far, Mo. Yeah, it's time, right? Mm-hmm. He's been through it a few times. It's not, it's not a scenario where like he's never experienced the playoffs or anything like that. And this year is a little bit different with the way the, the team is kind of set up. We do know they're going to play Denver and that's actually probably better than any other matchup they could have had, you know, if they were going to end up playing the Clippers or, or Houston, I think this is something like it's, it's, 
this is the situation now. If we're going to start to see flashes from Donovan Mitchell, now is the time to do it. And I think this is where we have to go and say, like, if you're the man you say you're going to be, if you're the guy that everybody believes you are, if you're this next Dwayne Wade guy, you got to carry this team, you know, and you may not win. We, it's, I'm, I like that we're all, all the way on top of that, but you got to carry this team. It's got to be like, hey, they if they had Bogdanovich, they probably would have won this series. You know, Devin Mitchell – or Devin, sorry. Donovan Mitchell needed a little more help that series. It's not – uh, like, man, he didn't show up this time. So this is this is going to be where it comes down to it. So he's been through it enough. It, it's time to put those expectations on. I, I appreciate that Freudian slip because it, it does feel like Booker and Mitchell have been tied together. And it does – I do sometimes wonder if you swap the two, does Utah get a lot better? I don't want to answer that question right now. But it's something that I want to think about going into the playoffs because it's it is a question. You uh, you, you listeners think amongst yourselves, right? Yeah, Take feel it. free to <laughs> yeah tweet it tweet it at us. Um, uh, it, let me to, to switch it up a little bit. Uh, what about Mike Budenholzer? I mean, yeah, it, that's going to be a guy we got to look at. You know, it, it's one of those things. This is a team that's championship level roster expectations across the board you, you, I kind of look at it as you know will he make the proper adjustments when it's time to make the adjustments like when you look at their loss against the Dallas Mavericks they didn't change the pick and roll coverage at all you know and that, that allowed Luca to go off and he was diming guys left and right and they've they've switched more this season but still it's you know you're staying in drop against Luca like why aren't you trapping why aren't you mixing things up and that's kind of the question there. I know they have their philosophy. They have their everything kind of built in, but it's this is why Bud and Nick Nurse are almost polar opposites, right? Nick Nurse is like, okay, that didn't work. Let's throw this at them. You know, Bud's looking at it going like, just give it time. It'll work. It'll work. Don't worry. And I think there's a situation here where we got to start looking at it and seeing like, is Bud going to make that change there? Is he going to make that adjustment? Because that's really what it comes down to in playoff basketball. So, uh, how about the Nuggets? Let's just get off. Let like uh, I, uh, for obvious reasons, I don't want to weigh in too heavily on, <laughs> on 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 this topic. So let's just go straight to yeah. the let's go straight to the Nuggets and, and talk about just generally a team that we, um, I you know, uh, early in the year I, I described us in the media as 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 kind of giving the Nuggets a pat on the head and saying nice season and sort of dismissing them. Um, this is maybe a little bit of their chance to show that they are. Um, they are a team that that should be talked about either this this year and especially going into next year as genuine contenders. And I have I have questions sort of up and down. Like, uh, can Jokic impact playoff series? Uh, will Michael Porter Jr. Uh, show that he can he can be that 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 second or really even that third or really even second score at this level? Will Mike Malone rely on Michael Porter Jr. and to a lesser extent Bull Bull in in playoff situations or will he kind of keep going with the vets over the young guys? I mean, there's just a lot of questions about them translating what has been a pretty good regular season team over the last couple of years into a playoff environment. They've got the issue that, that I bring up often with teams like Houston and Dallas. Like we know what the offense can do, but the defense, man, like once you get to the playoffs, if you can't, if you can't defend in crunch time, I just, 
I have a hard time having too much faith in you. It's not that it's not about the talent on this team. I, I think they should easily beat the Utah Jazz. I, I think it's going to be five, maybe six games, depending on you know what Donovan Mitchell does. But it's that next series. Do they have the defense to stop an elite offense? I just don't know if they do. And I understand, like, I know this team pretty well. I know that Jokic is not a bad defender. But it's the rest of the guys. Like, can they hold their own? You know, when Jamal Murray's out there, is he going to get cooked? Is he going to die on every screen? You know, Michael Porter Jr. has been a turnstile. He's been really fun on the offensive end, but frustrating as hell if if you loved good defensive basketball. And Mo, I, I mean, I know you probably echo the same concerns. Yeah, I mean, defensively, yes. I don't. I, I gotta disagree with you here, Dave, on Jokic being a, a, a good defender. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, stop. you just have and to Denver, alter your expectations and, no, no, about no, center no, defense. No, 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 no. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. And this is the same thing to Denver media folks too. He may have gotten better, but being better doesn't mean you're good. Doesn't mean you're average. Okay. Like, let's just stop with that. I'm tired of that bullshit. It's, I'm, uh, it, it drives me nuts all the time. Cause here's the thing, right? Like teams are going to target him relentlessly in the pick and roll. Cause in the way the game is played now, you know, and he has active hands and he gets deflections here and there, but the way the game is played now, they're going to force him to switch on the guys and that's going to be in the second round that's going to be Kawhi Leonard and that's going to be Paul George and that's going to be the difficult thing there for the for the Nuggets and I think that's really the issue that they're they're going to have to figure out is can the other guys defend around him you know and that's not I'm not trying to kill the man he tries it's just he just doesn't have it like we've I've seen him get blown by over and over again I'm sorry it's just it's uh, we got to stop with this guy he's Mo, a great player <laughs> Mo you just did the basketball equivalent of bless his heart yeah well you know that's what, he what I feel like every time I see these tweets I just shake my head at y'all you you <laughs> patted him you give him a nice pat on the head yeah that's Our, it, man. okay well as we wrap up I think there's one guy that we need to mention as someone who has stuff to prove in the playoffs because he's talked a lot in the last couple of weeks. Paul George has something to prove in the playoffs. He needs to show me that he can do things when the games matter. And for him, that's the playoffs. Uh, you know, you and I, we were talking about this before we started. And Mo, you brought up this point. If the Clippers win the title, it's going to be because of Kawhi. But if they lose it, I think it's going to be because of Paul George. I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be a, a number of reasons why if they lose it, I think it's going to be Marcus Morris not hitting shots. He's struggled from three for them. I think overall as a whole, you know, them not figuring out, you know, their crunch time lineups in terms of Lou Williams or Montrezl Hill, or are they going to try to play both of them at the same time? I think their continuity issues are going to be a, can be an issue for the reason why they don't they don't win it. I think it's a, a across the board several different things that are going to be working against this team. And mind you. They haven't played one game with their entire roster in Orlando, you know, and they're going to go into the playoffs here. So, you know, he's talked a ton of trash and, and that was kind of ridiculous in that sense. And we've, you guys lit him up on buds to go back and listen to that folks. There were definitely some good laughs on that. But for me, at the end of the day, this comes down to is Kawhi Leonard healthy? Can he take this team? Can, can, is this enough? Does he have enough around him? to win a championship with this team. That's really what it is for me with the Clippers. I mean, I think we talked about Anthony Davis and I think we need to talk about Paul George a little bit the same way. Uh, I think, I mean, I think AD is a, is a, maybe a tear up of player. 
Uh, but and the Clippers probably have more help around those two than the Lakers do around uh, around LeBron and, and AD. But at the same time, basically, you want to think of of since that first Indiana team kind of made a splash and kind of scared the Heat a little bit. Um, when was that? Like back in 20, 2012, 2013? Is that 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 long ago? Since he's really been a, a a huge playoff factor, and you know some of that is the team around him. But again. Uh, you you style yourself as this kind of player. Show me. I, I think that that's a great place to stop it. Guys, we have made it to the playoffs. Congratulations. Before we go, I want to thank everybody for sticking with us. This has been a really, really long season. And, uh, you know, for the most part, everybody's stuck around. So that's awesome. And we're excited for the playoffs to start. For Seth and for Mo, I'm Dave. And we'll talk to you next week during the playoffs.